0: Good morning, everyone. Um, So we are closing out uh, the last chapter, the last book of the Bible, and you can find it by just flipping your Bible upside down or something like that, and just flip to the last pages for uh, the last page of Revelation. And uh, you know, someone was, uh, we were mentioning in the team prayer today that we're finishing Revelation and this person said, "What? We're still in Revelation?" So, yes, this is our last sermon on Revelation. And so maybe for some of you it's this relief. Um, you've heard these sermons on all this imagery and you're like, "I'm just not an imagery person like uh, what's that alien from Garden of the Galaxies who's like, you know, metaphors, you know, don't go over my head. My reflexes are too fast." You know, and you're like, "Oh boy. Okay. But uh, we're in Revelation. We're closing out the Bible." And um, just to give some context, because last week we had this awesome break. We were at All Church. Were you there? Raise your hand if you were there. Yeah, that was great. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, so we hit the pause button. Now we're back to Revelation. So in chapter 21 and 22, uh, it's, it's this awesome description of what's life going to be like with God. Uh, God is going to live with his people there's going to be this city where we can see God's face. And, you know, does that excite you? What would that possibly be like? What feelings come to mind when you think of seeing God so closely, you see his face? That was verse 4 in chapter 22. Now we're in chapter, uh, verse 6. And maybe for you, God is confusing and new, and it's this concept you're open to. Um, God's more of an idea. Maybe for some of you, you are coming to church and you just want to capture that feeling again. You've known God before as close or this week's been really rough, and you're coming to church to find God again. Uh, You're coming to see if he's real. And whoever you are, I just want to say welcome. Welcome to church. We're glad to have you. So uh, how does the Bible end? Well, The Bible speaks of this great wedding feast that's going to happen. And now we're closing. It's this summary of the book of Revelation. And you can even turn to uh, just the first couple verses in chapter 1 of Revelation, and you can see the similarities going there. So it's this big wrapping up of Revelation. But it's fitting that we end the Bible with an invitation, a wedding invitation In our text today, all over are the words, come, and soon, and it reaches this peak moment in verse 17, where it says, the spirit and the bride say, come, and that got me thinking about this passage as a wedding invitation. Jesus is coming back for his people. He's coming back to do all that he said he would in Revelation, and he sent us this word to get us ready so that we wouldn't be surprised. Now, there's a lot in this text, and, but what I think this passage is saying is, Jesus is having a big wedding feast, and he wants you to come. So, are you going to come? Imagine you open up the mail, and in it, you see this wedding invitation from one of your best friends. What would you do? Well, you would take the invitation seriously, You'd RSVP, and you'd get ready. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus is having this big wedding feast, and he wants you to come. Are you going to come? Well, uh, raise your hand if you just, like, love weddings. You're like, yes, weddings. Okay, a couple in front. Okay, Um to be honest, at first, I didn't like weddings, but now I've matured, I've gotten older. But I didn't like weddings, I thought they were boring. Um, I didn't really get it, I didn't get the whole like love story thing. I was like, uh, nah, not for me. But anyway, um, I, I've now grown to really love weddings. I love just how I'm like, I just need to show up, I need to dress up, and this party's like planned for me, and I just get to be a part of it. I get to eat, I get to talk to friends and family, So I've really come to enjoy it. And then uh, I got married in 2021 to Vivian. She's right in front. And uh, my wife did most of the planning, uh, but uh, I was amazed with how much went into a wedding day. And then when the day came, it was just like a blur. Uh, Everything happened so fast. There were friends that flew literally hundreds of miles to see us. There were family I hadn't seen in a long time. And then there's my bride, the one I want to spend my time with. And all of a sudden, the day was just over. Literally, you, you go away, and I think the honeymoon is this time to like come back from shock. You're just like, what just happened? Like, that was so many people I didn't even get to see. So all that to say, weddings are awesome. And when I go to a wedding again, I get to just relax and enjoy their wedding as it happens. And that's today. We get to go to a wedding. The whole book of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, talks about um, this wedding. And that's God's people. He promises to collect them, bring them to himself like this beautiful bride. And we get to spend the rest of our days with God. It's this beautiful moment where he wipes away every tear, every pain. We're made new. Anything that's holding us down, anything that's been a malady for years gets taken away, and we're given a new body. We're made new, and all our longings are fulfilled. So today I'm talking about a wedding, and I'm kind of using both perspectives. Um, I brought my, my wedding invitation. This is uh, Peter and Vivian uh, getting married, and it's sort of like... Um, You are the bride if you say yes to Jesus, and you get to be part of that. That's the church. But you're also invited as a guest to the wedding as well, to see this awesome wedding happening. So I'll be kind of talking about both and. So let's look at the invitation that's in front of us. So verse 6 begins with this angel speaking to John who had been uh, with him during the sequence of visions that John is seeing. And he's affirming everything that John uh, saw and heard as genuine, and that these words are trustworthy and true. This revelation to John came from the same God who spoke to all the prophets from long ago. It's the same one. And again in verse 8, John is also saying that this is trustworthy. So he's saying, I, John, the one you know, that walked with you, that knows you. I'm also saying this is trustworthy and true. So all that to say is that we can take this wedding invitation seriously. It's, it's genuine. So when you get a wedding invitation, what do you usually do with it? Well, you put it on the fridge. It's important. I know these people getting married. I want to be there. So I'm going to take this seriously. If it was just junk mail, I got this junk mail. You know, they make computers that now fake handwriting, and you're like, oh, a letter from, I don't know this person at all, and it's in handwriting. This is incredible. He wants to sell my house for me. You know, uh, that's fake. I throw that out. This is genuine. This is real. I know the people. I want to be there. So we, we save it. We take it seriously. In verse 8, in this passage alone, we have witnesses of the angel saying it's true. We also have John saying it's true. We have the whole of Scripture, which they talk about as the prophets, those who God chose, spoke through them. They wrote it down, and we read it today. The Holy Spirit makes it alive to us, and it confirms it's Scripture. That, um, That is claiming this is true, all of these witnesses are saying God is 100% good, 100% all-powerful, 100% faithful. And then later in verse 18, we have Jesus himself saying, yeah, what he said, I'm saying to you, I want you. So we need to take this inv- invitation seriously. And this is how we treat scripture. We read it differently than a travel brochure or um, you know your, your class uh, Uh, what's it called, Uh, a syllabus. It's different. We treat it differently because all these different people are saying, this is different than other books. And that's what we're we're seeing throughout this text. So um, I just want to talk to, if you are someone that's interested in examining scripture in this book to see if it's credible, if it's worth reading, I would encourage you, yes, do that. And every now and then I'm going to take a sidebar to do that, um, like today, just because it's brought up so many times, the prophets, the scriptures. In short, the New Testament is, quote, far and away the best attested work of Greek or Latin in the ancient world. And so this is due to uh, just the number of sources outside of the Bible that attest to the Bible. And then, the Testament, uh, New Testament alone has over 2,500 manuscripts alone from that time period to attest to the quality and the uh, assurance of what this book is saying. There's no other literature that comes close to this, not even close. The next is like hundreds, and then after that's like 10. <laughs> so there's nothing like this book that we can attest to. And if you'd like to learn more, I suggest uh, the book The Historical Reliability of the New Testament by uh, Craig Blomberg. There's many more that you can read, but if you're one of those people that wants to dig in more, I encourage you to do that. It's worth your time to explore. So anyway, we have Jesus pointing to Scripture saying, Scripture talks about me. And then we have Scripture that's saying, listen to Jesus. And I think a lot of people today love the idea of Jesus that they have constructed for themselves, but they don't look to Scripture to see who Jesus is. Well, Jesus is pointing to Scripture. And today we have two different groups of people. We have people who accept the wedding invitation, and we have people that reject the wedding invitation. Now, if you've constructed a Jesus on your own, a lot of people say, no, everyone's accepted, everyone gets invited. And yet... Here is Jesus himself saying, well, I have a wedding invitation, and I want to warn you, please accept my wedding invitation. And it's an awesome one. It's open to anyone who would come. So that's why we have Scripture and Jesus and John and the angels all pointing to each other. Listen to this. So, okay, then there's the other side of Scripture. You say, all right, this is a legit book, but can I trust the God that's talking to me through this Scripture? Or maybe you're wondering, how did I end up in a basement on a Sunday morning with these people? Well, I would encourage you to ask other people how they ended up here on a Sunday morning. And they keep coming back. And they keep going to these things called city groups. And they keep meeting with people called a change group. There's something in their life that has changed. Listen to their stories. You can ask them a question. How did you encounter Jesus? And they'll tell you why. Ask them the question, uh, why are they still following Jesus? I became a Christian, and you're going to hear my testimony today. Um, I became a Christian three or four years old, but I'm still a Christian today. I think that's a really interesting question to ask people. So we have the reliability of Scripture, but we also have others' testimonies and your own experience as well. And these all come together to why you're here on a Sunday morning to worship our God together. So we have the wedding invitation. It's real, it's genuine. And we've talked about the wedding day before, uh, if you've been following us um, through this series. And this is an accurate description of what that day will be like. Both the New and the Old Testament talk about it. This is bride and groom. We use the word bridegroom in um, your your Bible, but that just means groom. We just say that word today. And um, this is an appropriate way to end because we get this glimpse of where we're headed. And maybe for you, you think that's a little strange, but when I was engaged to Vivian, if you asked me, what are you thinking about? I'm like, well, I'm imagining what life's gonna be like when I'm married. I'm thinking about, oh, we're gonna walk in the park, we're gonna live this life, we can go on adventures together, it's gonna be awesome. And that's what God's saying here, he's saying, I'm imagining my life with you that's coming. And it's not just some fantasy that I have, it's real stuff. You can count on it, and I'm looking forward to it. And specifically, I want you there. I can't wait to be with you in person. That's going to be awesome. Is that something that fills your heart and your mind? Do you take time to imagine what life would be like Fully with God. I encourage you to do that. We fill our minds and our hearts with stuff all the time. We fill it with bank accounts, job promotions, the next step, why I'm in Montreal, or, or I don't want to live anywhere else. We we fill our mind with stuff all the time. Are you filling it with God, this romantic relationship that you get to start today? And it gets to go all the way to fulfillment one day. I think this is good. I think that's called worship. And that's what God is saying to us here. Okay, so we have this wedding invitation. We're excited or we're interested. And I want to be there for it. But how do we take this wedding invitation seriously? Well, there's a couple things we can do. And this gets us to our next point. We check our calendars. When I get an invitation in the mail, I immediately put it on the fridge because I want to be there. But to do that, i got to make sure I can go. And that's why, what do we do when we send out a wedding invitation? Usually, we first send a save the date, and then the formal invitation comes, given your response. Well, here we have the save the date and the invitation, And what we do is we look at our calendar, we buy the plane ticket, and we look at our budget to make sure we can go. If your excuse was, I had eight months to decide on your wedding, and I couldn't make it because I spent that money on a concert for myself, is that a good excuse? No, it's a bad excuse. You'd go, that's ridiculous. So we need to budget for it, and we need the right clothes for the wedding. Um, if you've been in the wedding party, they tell you what to wear. Now, if the bride is a bridezilla, she's going to be like, you need this thread of, of clothing and it's this shade of blue. It's called 907Seabreeze. You must wear it. Or uh, someone else who's really chill and they're like, just have a shirt on, you know, like a white shirt. And you're like, great, I love that wedding. Um, so we need to prepare the right clothes, or you're just super excited to be there and you're like, I want to look good. This is going to be an awesome party. This is my best friend. It's so special. I want to look at uh, the clothes that I can wear for this wedding. What a special day. So this is what it's like to take the wedding invitation seriously. We need to save the date. Ah, but the date. When exactly is it? Well, the date is, soon. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I think a lot of us get caught up on that, or what, what exactly, soon, what is soon? Is it um, like in 1999 when we flipped over to 2000 and people were freaking out about computers crashing and the world falling apart because our systems couldn't take it? I grew up with a Hewlett Packard computer um, that was our first computer. Would that thing crash at the Y2K? That's when Jesus is coming back, when the world falls apart. Um, is it when the ice caps melt? When Russia unleashes nuclear weapons? Or we do? I don't know. Is it when China hacks the global economy? Or is it the day Elon Musk finally sinks his brain to chat <laughs> soon. Soon. No. um, Soon, about 2,000 years ago, when John wrote this letter to save the date, he said soon. When Jesus walked on his earthly ministry, he said soon. That was the date. If you've been watching the Chosen series, um, uh, I've just finally started watching it. It's been really enjoyable. It's like a creative uh, TV show about helping us see what it would look like in biblical times. And they kind of joke about the word soon. Jesus is always like, I will be there soon. And they're like, "Ah, what? you're stressing me out, Jesus. Like, I need a plan for this. So there are a couple of things that we can uh, understand and do with this word soon. Number one, soon to God means something different than it means to us. It's from his perspective, his perfect timing, and his patience. We can even look at other places in the Bible, like 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The book of Revelation is this book calling us to faith and repentance. And why are we here today? Why is it soon? It's his patience. It's his perspective and his perfect timing. And number two Soon is not the Y2K event or any other date, but it will happen in real time. This is a real event that will happen. First, Thessalonians 5. um, Thessalonians talks about a group of people that are new Christians, and Paul is writing a letter to them because they're really freaked out. There are other people within their midst That have come to them and said, hey, you missed it. You missed Jesus coming back. And they're like, I feel very anxious. So Paul says this to them. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and the dates, we uh, we do not need to write to you. For we know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It will be unexpected and quickly. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Revelation talks about that in detail. Um, You can look at our past sermon series on that. But you, brothers, verse 4, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day will not surprise you like a thief. Oh, interesting. You are children of the light and children of the day, We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like other people who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. That's the normal thing to do. Yet those who uh, get drunk, get drunk at night. And this is talking about this self-illusion that God doesn't see what I do, so I'm going to do what I want. And that can give you spiritual delusion, make you see the world in the wrong way but we're supposed to wake up that's what revelation was all about wake up see the way jesus sees verse 8 but since we belong to the day let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate that's what we should be doing and hope as a salvation uh, as a helmet for god did not appoint us to suffer the wrath to suffer wrath um, like God's judgment on us, but to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. He died for us so that we, uh, whether we awake or sleep, whether we're physically dead or physically alive, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. He's saying continue what you're doing. Continue the church thing. Keep praying. Keep meeting with each other. Pray over each other in courage, love, faith, hope. So, if we walk with Jesus, we won't miss it, and we won't live in a way where we'll be surprised. And that is how we take the invitation seriously, while others don't. Some may call themselves Christians, but they have a life that their evidence shows they don't take this wedding invitation seriously. Others will clearly reject and rebel and say, nope, not going to that. I don't want to be married to God. I don't want to see his face. To me, that is bad news. So soon is different to God. Soon is not the Y2K event. And uh, soon, number three, should help us live faithfully. When we take his uh, his invitation seriously and that date seriously as soon, That should inform how we live. This is an illustration that, again, is all over the Bible. A lot of Revelation is just telling us and pointing us to different areas of the Christian life that we already know in the New Testament. It's sort of like this If your boss is away, are you going to work faithfully or play Angry Birds just till it's three o'clock? When your parents go out, it was this time to be at home alone. You can do whatever you want. What are you going to do when they're gone? This reveals something about who we are. It's pointing to a core belief that we're acting out. So sometimes the Bible says, ah, this doer of evil. And you're like, well, that's kind of harsh. What it's pointing to is an end result of their belief that they've chosen to hold on to and love. And this should wake us up. We don't just do whatever we want, but we begin to live in a way where we want this life with God. In this case, our actions are demonstrating our belief. Is it going to be, ah, I just want to get away with this while he's not here? Or, nah, he's not. He's not here. He doesn't care. Or is it, yes, I want to live my life before the Lord. I want to walk in daylight When you wake up in the morning, do you spend time in prayer and just say, God, see me. This is wonderful. I love walking in your gaze. That's taking this RSVP seriously. And this brings us to our next point about the wedding invitation. We know it's genuine. We took it seriously. But how do we respond? How do we RSVP? The great thing about this invitation is the response is the same as the call. Come. It's to come. Come be a part of the wedding feast. Come be a part of God's family. In verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, come. They're all the same person. In verse 17, the bride is this beautiful image of the total collection of God's people. These are the people of God's church, the ones who hear. That means they respond in faith and repentance. They're the ones who desire to drink from the free gift of uh, free gift of water of life. They're the ones who are responding to the wedding invitation. This wedding day brings the people of God into an eternal, um, brings the people of God to eternally live with him in a beautiful marriage. And all we have to do is turn to him in faith and repentance. And let me give you my personal testimony of how I RSVP'd. Uh, When I was about three or four, I was in the kitchen, and I just felt this sort of growing desire, a love, a want for God, and I said, Mom, can I pray to have Jesus in my life? And I sat on her lap, and I remember you know, my mom kind of like cray- cried. She was like some tears dropped on my head or something. But um, we prayed, and uh, I was just like, Jesus, I'd like you into my heart. I want to be with you. I want, I want you. And that's what we do. We turn to him that way. And then after we prayed, I said, Mom, my heart inside feels weird. And she said, that's Jesus living inside of you. And it's just as simple as that. Or, you know, a- another part of this marriage is, it's almost like that day I received my engagement ring. It was the Holy Spirit. And I carry that engagement ring till I get married to Christ. And this wedding day is the day I look forward to. Uh, When uh, Vivian and I uh, were engaged, but we hadn't married yet, Um, as the day came closer and closer, I was in Colorado, she was in Canada, we started calling each other more and more and more, And we started texting more and more and more, which was a bad way to end the semester, right? So it's finals week, and I'm just like, oh, I can't think straight. I want to be with my future wife. It's sort of like that. I'm in this long-distance relationship, and yet I also have this engagement ring. It's with me. I know it. I, I love this, this Jesus of mine. In verse 12, Jesus is speaking here. And he says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give each person according to what they have done. So for you, what will you do? Will you respond to him? And all we need to do is just to look at him. Not to our stuff, not to our way, not to our titles, but we just need to look on him and come. There's this famous preacher. A very smart man, uh, did a lot of amazing sermons. People will quote him a lot. His name is Charles Spurgeon. But when he became a Christian, he was out in the countryside, and there was this country preacher that came. And here's this intelligent man and a preacher that is less than intelligent. And um, they, he, in his personal journal, he wrote down what happened. And I'm going to just read to you a little bit. Of what it's like to turn to Christ. He says, the preacher was preaching the sermon and the preacher said, Look to Christ. The text says, Look unto me. And assuming uh, the person of Jesus, the preacher kept talking. He said, The preacher continued, Look unto me, I'm sweating with great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I'm dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I am sitting at my Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me. And then Charles Spurgeon writes in his journal, the preacher ha- didn't have much to say, thank God, for that compelled him to keep on repeating his text. And there was nothing needed by me at any rate except his text. And then, stopping, this preacher pointed out to the crowd where I was sitting under the gallery, and he said, that young man sitting there, he looks very miserable. You, you look miserable. And he shouted, and then he writes in his journal like a primitive Methodist would, he said, look, look look at that young man, look now. And then I had a vision, writes Charles Spurgeon. He says, not a vision of the eyes, but to my heart, I saw what a savior Christ was. Now, I can never tell, I can never tell you what it was, but I was no sooner saw him whom I was to believe in than I understood what it was to believe, and I did in that one moment. And as the snow fell on my road home from that little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked with me and told me of the pardon I had found. For I was white as the driven snow through the grace of our God. So that is how we respond in our hearts. And God washes us and saves us for that wedding day. In verse 12, he says, Look, I'm coming, my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. And again, in verse 14, it says, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. The reward is being with Jesus, being with him. What are these people doing that Jesus is talking about? They're coming to him. They want Jesus. And maybe for for uh, for you today, you've never taken the invitation seriously, or maybe today you feel something tugging in your heart to come to Jesus. I'd encourage you to look on Him and come to Him now. Are you thirsty for life? He offers it freely. Just come to Him. Say it to Him in your heart. But Revelation also speaks about people that don't want Jesus. The day of the Lord returning is like good news and a wedding day to some, but to others, Jesus coming is bad news. I don't want God here. He's going to tell me what to do. I don't want God here. I want to go my own way. This is what I love. In the Bible, Jesus speaks in other places about this wedding to illustrate these two groups of people. Matthew 22 comes to mind, where um, a king invites people to his son's wedding feast. And basically, God invites uh, many people from different walks of life, all of these people, into his kingdom. And there are some that flat-out reject his invitation or don't prepare for the wedding day, which puts them in the same situation. The invitation goes out to all peoples in all languages in all times. It's a diverse group, people. And earlier in chapter, uh, in earlier chapters in Revelation, we see that every nation and ethnicity are in God's family. That's a good thing. That's awesome. But because the invite goes out to all, there are two groups those who come, those who don't come. And God takes this personally. Even in the story that Jesus tells, listeners are supposed to be shocked. By the responses that people give for not coming to this wedding. What? He wouldn't go to the wedding? What was his reason? They're lame reasons. Oh, I had to go get groceries. There's a soccer game. I don't feel like it. But the text is clear. These people are thrown out. And we see that in our text. And I want to address that because that's a tough thing to read. The text should shock us into repentance. I don't want to be a part of that group. This is not hard for God to figure out. He's the judge. He's the one that's capable. He's the one who walked humbly. He's the one that went to the cross. If you want to find someone who's qualified for this job, it's Jesus. It's not hard. It's not a difficult task. And one way we see that is that he, gro- he lets people grow into what they want to be. And that's why in verse 11, it says, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong or be vile or something like that. Let the one who does right continue to do right. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. It has to do with our hearts responding to Jesus and trusting him to be our savior and our righteousness or to reject him and deny his kingdom and his authority over all things. So we have in God's empowering grace leading us to life, that outworking happening. Or we have sin's rebellion and this ultimate bondage. And that can seem harsh, but we're seeing things from a different perspective. We're seeing things as the end result, okay? So we're looking back this way at all of life, all of everything, just some a sum total of the world, the end of history. And when we see it from here, this is what people have decided to do with their lives. And if you get caught up on that, it's it's a worthy thing to think about. But this can seem like it's judgmental. Um, Maybe you have friends who do self-help stuff. They pick up garbage more than you do. They recycle better than you do. You're like, they deserve to go to hell? Well, God's taking this wedding invitation very seriously. It's like if my wedding was was in Montreal, and I gave you eight months, and you had no legitimate reason not to be there. You said, no, just couldn't quite move my feet there. Or you showed up, and you dressed like a slob. What are you doing? You're my best friend. I thought... This is my wife. This is the one time I'm getting married. And this is what you're doing? It's an outcome. It points to the heart. This is not an arbitrary judgment. This isn't capricious. Our God is a good God, 100% faithful, 100% powerful. He's capable to do this. No one else is. So who is a person that would ultimately reject Jesus? Um, Maybe this word will help you. Um, I'll try to unpack it. But maybe it's a hater. This text is talking about those who come to Christ are with Christ and the haters be hatin'. (laughs) Um, This is kind of a term we get from rappers who are like, they're a great rapper, they have their reputation, but they got their haters. Their haters, right? So you obviously (laughs) know I don't (laughs) listen to a lot of rap. I'm more like a doo-wop, doo-wop guy. Anyway, the haters... Haters be hating. They're just gonna keep hating. Um, it's like, even if I reach out to him on Twitter, oh man, he turns my words against me and makes me seem like a fool. I was just trying to reach out, man. Haters be hating. It's like they they have this fortress. They're stuck in this position, fortified by criticizing other people's achievements. He thinks he's holy. He goes to church on Sunday. No, Christ is my righteousness. Christ is the one I love. He rests in his fortress of stubborn making, of a stubborn making of their own, and there's nothing you can do. Everything you try to reach out turns to hate. Haters be hating. But we preach to the hater because we know we were once haters of the cross. And the ministry is personally enjoying our life with God and moving from being a hater to a lover of the cross, and we share that message with others. Look at the bridegroom. He's sending this invitation out to whoever would respond, and we carry that invitation with us. Are you an inviting Christian? When you meet a hater, does that make you want to invite them more, pray for them more, reach out to them more? Do you know who you are, that you were invited to this wedding? That should press us in further and further to know the love of Christ and his grace. And that's the reality of these Christians uh, in this context. They didn't live in arrogance. They weren't like, oh, we're better and holy. No, these Christians knew that they were washed clean and they lived in, in, in the glory of God by his grace that empowered them to face the persecution of the day. Man, these people were pressed down. They didn't meet in groups like this. They just couldn't. And that's how far we go. But don't be confused by the difference between a hater and a sinner. In Romans 5, chapter 8 to 10, it says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since now we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were sinners, uh, if what well, if so, sorry for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? The hater's end result is different than a sinner that turns to Christ. A Christian is a sinner who's received Christ. A hater is a sinner that's rejected Jesus. And Paul understood this very well. He understood that this was what grace was. He says this in 1 Timothy, The grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. This isn't just a personal invitation, and that's why he's upset. It's what he had to do on the cross. He suffered death. He suffered shame. He suffered uh, alienation from his eternal relationship with the Trinity, with his Father. He bled. He died. He suffocated on a cross while he's bleeding there. He was buried. That's what sin is. If you're just thinking Christianity is one of many self-help books you're not getting the picture right. And if you think, oh, my friends are fine because they just do self-help like I do self-help, you're not getting it. That's not the cross. Jesus didn't say, all right, be saved, you know, keep, keep on breathing deeply and drink water and walk twice a day. No, he went to the cross for us. So how does God, God's grace work? When we get married... You are giving all of your person to Jesus, your sin, your shame, your guilt, all of that, and you're handing it over to him. Because what is a marriage? A marriage isn't a long-time partnership that until you change your values or what your life journey and narrative is, this will just stick together to cohabitate for a mutual beneficial situation. No, marriage is a commitment where you give all of your person to that person. That's why divorce is so awful. That's why it's so tragic. But that doesn't mean that marriage is without meaning. This is a marriage that's going to last. Marriage is giving all of yourself. But what does that mean for Christ, who is your bridegroom? It means he takes all of you. He takes it all. You don't just hold back your student debt and say, let's get married, but I'll deal with this alone. No, he takes that too. He takes it all. Your past, you have to give it to him on that day. But what do you get? You get all of him. He wants to give you that that engagement ring today, and he's bringing the full riches of Christ. Many of you were here for that Ephesian sermons, Christ is bringing all of himself to you, all of the riches of God. He's giving you a relationship with the Father. He's adopting you as his child. This is your new family. This is awesome. This is marriage. That's lost on us today. Wow, that's what it means. So in this passage, I'm going to read it again, but maybe it's a call for you to repentance. Repentance. And I'll kind of contextualize it for you. Verse 15, outside are the dogs. That could just be the non-religious people, those who don't know God, those who practice magic arts or witchcraft, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Jesus' message to you today is to throw down anything that your eyes are looking to that is not Jesus. That's idol worship. Stop doing anything that you believe is just to manipulate God for your circumstances. That's witchcraft. You're just trying to control things. You're God. No, throw that down. If you're engaging in any sexual immorality, throw that down and call to Jesus, come, I want more of you. If you're holding on to hate or resentment towards someone, hand that over to Jesus now. If you think you are some spiritual guru and you can just figure it out on your own, if you think you don't need Jesus, the scriptures, the Bible, the church who is the bride, then repent. That's arrogant. It's all pointing to each other. Come, join the spirit and say with the bride, come. We need to be an inviting people. This is your invitation, but we also carry this invitation with us. When I go over to your house, am I going to see that wedding invitation posted on your fridge? When people come over to your house, do they know you're a Christian? Not because of some cross or oil painting of a Swedish Jesus. No, they need to know you love Christ in your home. Do you have that? Do you need that? Do you want that? When you meet other people, when you meet the haters and the sinners, are you carrying this invitation with you? That's what we need to be. And with this invitation, we also receive awesome assurance for today and tomorrow. Jesus says, I am the root and the offspring of David. He's saying, I'm the king. I'm the king of you. I entered into your world and your people. I'm your king, but I'm also the son of God. And that's who we need. That's who I need as king. And we also, and then it says, and I am the bright morning star. This is another way of saying the same thing. I'm the king. I'm the king. I'm coming. And the bright morning star is also awesome because it's the last star in the sky before sunrise. Um, we know that today as Venus, but um, it's sort of this, this look of, wow. The sun is coming. The day is almost here. Can you see it? Christ is coming soon. So Jesus is having this wedding feast, and he's done everything he can to invite you. He wants you there. Are you going to come? So how do I need to respond? Maybe you've never come to Jesus before, but you're feeling that invitation Well, today you can just turn your heart like I did when I was three or four and pray to him, come. Or maybe you're someone who's never come to Jesus and you're just not sure on this whole invitation and there are some things you're like, I just don't get that. I'm honestly trying to hear you, but I just don't get it. I just want to say thank you for coming. We're glad you're here. Maybe you've responded but you've realized like I just haven't been taking this invitation seriously. That's that's today for you to pray to Jesus and say come. There are things I need to lay down at your feet. I never realized how awesome our marriage could be. I have things to give over to you and I'm so excited for the things that you want to give to me. And lastly, Are you someone who wants to grow into expectation? Just pray to him today. Worship him. Look at your life and see if there are things that are dragging you down. Make adjustments. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. I pray for those who, this is all new, and they feel that tugging in their heart you can use these words with me. Jesus, I want you. Would you come into my life? I open up the the door of my heart and let you in. And I throw down anything that the preacher told me today. I want to follow you. I want to take your invitation seriously. And I can't wait to meet you in person. For those of us who... um, are just not quite taking this invitation seriously, but we know Jesus. Father, We, we here I am. Lord, I, I've, I've been trying to walk with you, but I've been caught up in things. I've been caught up in this world. I've been holding on to things, anxieties. I've been losing hope. I've been trying to fix it myself. I've been, my eyes have been bouncing around, but not to you. Lord, in your mercy, would you bring my gaze up to you? I want you to come, come into my life. Refresh me, save me for that day. Jesus, we want to join you as this church. Spirit, would you come and be in our midst as we worship and pray together? We want to be as one, one bride, worshiping you today, growing in expectation. We're in this long-distance relationship, and we can't wait to meet you. Would you come be with us today? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.